As most small-town residents can attest to, living away from the hustle and bustle of city life can be nice, but there can be some anxiety-inducing moments, especially when the sun goes down. Welcome back to the swamp, my friends. It's good to see you made it back for another episode. Today I'm going to be sharing some creepy and allegedly true small-town horror stories sent in by viewers just like you. As always, if you have a story that you would like to share in a future video, be sure to submit it at swampdweller.net or the email you can find in the description down below. I'd love to share your story with everyone here in the swamp. It's stories like yours that help keep this show going. Now, being a small town resident myself, I can surely tell you, it's nice, it really is. But at the same time, there's a lot of weird and creepy things that go unnoticed. I hope you enjoy these stories. Now let's get in to these creepy and allegedly true small town horror stories. I cannot believe I'm sharing this story, but I do not know if I can take this much longer without some semblance of help. I desperately hope you can use this on your channel. My name is Maxwell. I am a 16 year old male who has been binge listening to your channel for several months and I finally worked up the guts to send this in. I currently reside in a deadbeat coal town, specifically in the eastern coal fields of Kentucky. Sad, I know. In my area of Electra County, there are several tales of cryptids, with thousands of small hidden caves in this little part of the Appalachia. I do not doubt that. I have heard people's encounters with crawlers and such, but there is something much... Much darker. December 15th, 2019 is when things changed for me. My best friend, Dean, came clean to me about something that had been stalking him for several years. He told me that he can hear it pacing with heavy bipedal steps. It likes to stop above his bed and breathe with heavy rattling sighs. It taps on his walls and window, and it stays only in the late hours of the day in early hours of the morning. I was suspicious at first, but Dean would not lie about something like that. I told him I would try to help him figure out what it was, and it turns out, I did something worse. It started out small, like the feeling of constantly being watched when I was outside. I can live with that. The feeling intensifies tenfold when I'm outside at night, though with the added dread that it feels like something is stalking towards me quietly. I'm not a paranoid guy by any means. At least, I thought so anyway. Usually, I'm a very dense guy and don't believe in anything supernatural. I have ADHD, so it's hard to maintain enough focus to form paranoid thoughts. The second thing that happened was the walking on my roof. Heavy footsteps that sounded like something or someone was pacing. It only happened when I was home alone during the night, so semi-often. I, being the idiot I am, would just ignore it. Then the tapping. The constant, slow tapping on all the exterior walls that enclosed my bedroom. Back and forth. The taps on the window were next, then the whispers. This has been on and off for about two years irregularly now. Please, Swamp get the story out there. I know it is short as all get out, but this is getting to me more and more, 
The pandemic is really making it harder to ignore this thing. My family, my boyfriend, they all do not know what to do and neither do my friends. I have nobody else to turn to. My uncle thinks it's a demon, but I think it's something more cryptid. Thank you for your time, and I hope you have a good day and night. This may not be overly scary, but if your listeners have any idea of what this thing is, please let me know in the comments. Hi Swamp, this story occurred last October and was my encounter with one of Texas's oldest unsolved mysteries, the Marfa Lights. It may not be as terrifying as some of the other stories submitted here, but it was a unique experience for me. On some nights, as you look across the West Texan desert outside the town of Marfa, you see strange orbs of red, white, or yellow light floating above the desert floor. You may see only one or two, or sometimes several in the air at one time. Sometimes they hover perfectly still before blinking out, or they move, even shooting across the night sky. They are unpredictable. Stories of sightings of the lights go well back into the 1800s. There are even Native American legends about the mysterious lights, and many researchers have run studies to try to determine their cause. The leading theory is that the unique atmospheric conditions cause headlights from cars to be reflected in the sky. But a lot of people don't buy that. While on a trip with some friends from a university out west to experience the beauty of the Chihuahuan Desert, we decided to visit the viewing area, around 10 miles outside of the small town of Marfa. At the time, we were staying there. One of my favorite hobbies is going birdwatching. So I brought my big spotting scope on the trip, which I planned to use to see the lights better. We arrived about half an hour after the sunset. If you have never been far into the desert, it gets dark. And I mean dark. The only source of light was the dim lights on the steps of the viewing area, the stars, and a single cell tower out in the distance. I set up my scope and sighted it in on the cell tower. We did not have to wait long before a small white light appeared on the horizon. It moved slowly across the horizon before blinking out. Then, another one appeared. And another. Sometimes they would go out after a minute, other times they would be visible for about five or more minutes. Whenever I would focus my scope on one, I was never able to see any discernible features other than a small blip of light. Another strange thing to note was that whenever I would crank the zoom on my scope, the lights never seemed any larger than when looking at them with the naked eye. We stayed for about an hour, and I was absolutely entranced by the little lights, and, as luck would have it, that was not the only time we would see them on that trip. A couple of days later, we were returning from a hike in Big Bend. It was a long drive back, if I recall, so it was pretty dark by the time we were getting back to Marfa. Driving through the desert at night is surreal. You can go hundreds of miles and hardly see anything. It is like the whole world drops out of existence beyond the reach of the headlights. When we passed the viewing platform, we saw about half a dozen white, red, and yellow lights way out in the desert, the most we had ever seen at once. Where it got weird was when I turned around in my seat and saw little reddish lights behind us. There is only one, though, so I did not think of it at all. And, from my best guess, 
I would say it was about a half mile behind us, maybe 25 to 50 feet off the ground. I thought it could have been a motorcycle, but then it started moving perpendicular to the straight road we were on. It followed us for about 10 minutes if I had to guess, and from what I could tell, it kept the same distance between us and itself before suddenly just disappearing into thin air. We all said stuff along the lines of, well, that was weird. None of us had ever seen anything like it, and two of the people in the car have been out there multiple times, and have seen the lights many times themselves, but never anything like that. We did not feel threatened by it, but it was a cool experience that many people probably have not had. If any of y'all are in West Texas, be sure to stop by Marfa, and see if you can catch a glimpse of these weird lights. People have speculated that these things can be ghosts, aliens, car lights, or even electricity caused by the rocks under the area, but I really hope that the mystery of the Marfa lights is never solved. We need a few more mysteries in the world. This just happened about an hour ago, so my memory is fresh. First off, I'm living in a very rural, small village, maybe about 10 to 15 houses max. It's very close to a highway. You can drive there within maybe 5 minutes. It's about 10 minutes away from the actual town itself. If you cross the street, it just takes you about a 10 minute walk to reach the forest. On Christmas Day, it was my first Christmas there in this area, it was sometime in the afternoon, my partner and I decided to go for a little digestive walk, as we were really stuffed from all the food. It was about 1700 hours, and already dark when we left. We had a big and bright LED flashlight with us. I also took my camera and my flash, as I love taking pictures of nature at night. We decided to walk on a little country road toward the forest and then turn right, following a small graveled cycle track close to the forest border. This eventually connects our village and the next, which is maybe about 15-20 minutes away. In the middle part of that track, you must walk through a small bit of forest. It is rather dark, and the trees are extremely high and quite dense. When we entered, I saw our flashlight reflecting on something and recognized a car being parked there on the side of the track, close to the trees. This struck me as a bit odd, as cars are not allowed to drive there, and the path is very narrow and hidden, so I was a bit cautious. My partner pointed the light inside of the car and it seemed to be empty. I also noticed the windows were frozen, so it must have been parked there for a good minute. Or so in front of the car, I spotted a tree with an intriguing structure, and I asked my partner to point the flashlight towards it so I could focus better and photograph it with my flash. After I took a few images, my partner told me, Um... There's someone standing behind us in the middle of the road. Nobody was following us the entire way. I kept looking around and behind us occasionally as well, because at this time of night, you can never be too careful, especially with all the wild boars going around. It is also mating season, so they are more aggressive than usual. Indeed, when I turned around, there was a man standing behind us, staying out of the flashlight's reach. He wasn't saying anything just standing there and facing us. At first, I thought he might be startled, as it may seem a bit weird if someone is just taking photos of your car. It was not even legal to drive on that path with the car anyway. 
I decided to get up and confront him from a distance, explaining to him that I was just taking photos of the tree. He did not react and still just stood there. I then went on to ask him if he needed some light, and he replied that this was not necessary. It was odd, but I was still calm. Sure, uh, about there being a normal explanation for his behavior, maybe. Nonetheless, my partner and I decided to just get out of there and follow the path leading to the next village. It was probably only about seven minutes more until we reached it. I remembered the letters on his license plate, not the numbers though unfortunately, and googled it. And it turned out that he was from a city about six hours away from our village. Mind you, the country I live in is in an extremely strict lockdown right now. So you are only allowed to travel, even by car, if you have very urgent reasons. After we reached the first lantern of the next village, we looked back and observed the car driving a bit out of the forest, turning around, and going back inside. I was able to see that he parked there again, turned the lights off, and he did not leave the forest. We then went home on a much longer way than initially attended, as I did not want to go back there for obvious reasons. Our flashlight battery died on the way, and my phone battery was low, so I did not want to have to call the police back then, but I called them as soon as I arrived home and gave them all the details of that guy. My big regret is that I did not memorize the whole license plate, but it was just so surprising that I seriously did not think about it. Also, it only occurred to me as strange when I thought about the frozen windows and that he could possibly have been there for quite a while, and somehow he was walking behind us with nobody ever noticing for quite some time. He did seem to be sneaking up on us as well. I think I was incredibly lucky to have my partner, the camera, and the bright light with me. I do not want to imagine what could have happened if I was alone when I told my housemate she theorized that he may have been spying on the houses awfully close to the forest border, as you can easily investigate their backyards without being seen. I think that is probably likely. I had the thought of photographing the car when I entered the forest part of the path, but somehow, I felt just weird about that. I thought it would probably be a bit weird and disrespectful. In hindsight, I believe this saved me, as he must have been hidden behind the trees close to the car. If he was really planning on burglary, or worse, dumping a body, I think it's not likely he may have attacked me if he realized I had a potential photo of his car with a recognizable license plate. It was Christmas, 2008, and I had awoken to a bright, sunny Southern California day. Excited, full of energy, and full of emotions prepared to head toward LAX so I could board my plane and fly across the country. That year, I was heading toward West Virginia to spend the holidays with friends and family. We would proceed to stay up every night watching movies, playing video games, and telling stories during my vacation there. I would go into more details with the fun and exciting things, including going ice skating, camping, and even feeding some deer in my friend's backyard, but I'm pretty sure you are not really interested in all that. Fair enough. Let us focus on the events leading up to my scary encounter, including the experience itself. Now, the reason I chose to fly on Christmas Day was because it was way cheaper, which, fun fact, if you travel during the season, choose the 25th. As you know, most families want to already be together on Christmas Day, which is why airlines choose the lower cost for customers on the holiday. Just an FYI. Anyways, 
I boarded my American Airlines flight at approximately 9 in the morning, and we took off close to around 9.45. The flight itself was boring, consisting of listening to audiobooks and having small conversations with a friendly woman who sat behind me. Fast forward to a little past 7pm. You must remember there is a 3 hour time difference between the East and West Coast time. We arrive at the airport on schedule. It had been snowing that evening, so I bundled up in extra layers with my comfortable boots, softening each of my steps. Once I grabbed my luggage, consisting of my carry-on and small suitcase, I head toward the shuttle system just outside the airport, which was to take me roughly an hour toward the small town that my friend lives in, and drop me off at her mom and dad's bakery. We had planned it this way because my friend, who in this story we'll refer to as Amanda, and her dad would be at the bakery working on some sweets for all of us to enjoy back at her house. Do not get me wrong, they did offer to come pick me up at the airport, and they insisted heavily that it was not an issue, but I insisted further that I would take a shuttle to them. So I did, and about an hour later, I am dropped off at my friend's bakery, and I am greeted by Amanda. Where's your dad? Is it just you? I asked Amanda, as she helps me get the snow-covered suitcase and carry-on into the back room. Oh, he'll be right back. He went to go get some things from home. We proceeded to settle down inside the back room and talked for about 15 minutes or so, catching up and me telling her about my flight. Bear in mind, the lights in front of the bakery, where all the suites are, including the cash register and displays are off, and the We Are Open sign is set to closed. So, anyways, as we are talking enjoying some cookies and milk, we suddenly heard a loud thud and shattering coming from the main lobby. Amanda and I quickly jump out of our seats and then storm through the kitchen door only to be met with one of the worst sights you could possibly imagine. Two hunky large figures with black ski masks covering their face, black sweaters, matching pants, gloves, and boots are now in the bakery and are armed. One has a crowbar and the other has a handgun. I remember everything in slow motion, my life passing before my very own eyes. As the men tell us to be quiet and to show them where the money was located, otherwise we would be in a world of trouble, Amanda tells the men the cash register was empty, but the money was in the back room and placed inside a box. The men approached Amanda and I, and we had briefly headed into the back room, Amanda pointing at said money box placed on a table, while the men have their backs turned toward us. We take this opportunity to book it out of the bakery jumping through the shattered front window and running across the street to a small shopping center. Naturally, everything was closed. It was Christmas after all, so the overall feeling of being isolated without anyone near us for help as it snowed in the darkness was a very real and very scary feeling. Amanda and I both hid behind a large dumpster, keeping a watchful eye on the shop. As Amanda called her dad to warn him about the two armed men, her dad asks us if we are safe. We assure him that we are fine and we are hidden behind a dumpster on the other side of the street. Amanda's dad then advises us to call the police. He then says he would be there in about five minutes with the shotgun. Too bad he did not get there in time, nor did the police, because almost as soon as we are on the line with 911, the two men come racing out of the bakery with the money box I mentioned and run in the complete opposite direction into an alleged alleyway. Twenty seconds later... A black minivan, which we assumed housed the two robbers, was storming down the street and disappears into the cold, dark West Virginia night. Sadly for Amanda and her family, 
They ended up losing a few thousand dollars that evening, having to cover costs for the damages and the money stolen. But when all was said and done, they were just so thankful nothing bad happened to either me or their daughter. Nothing was stolen from my belongings, which I was thankful for, as I had all their gifts wrapped neatly in my suitcase. Now, even though we stayed at the bakery longer than expected talking with the police and filing a police report, we eventually returned to Amanda's house at roughly 2 in the morning to open presents and try to get our minds off of what was truly the most frightening experiences of our lives. The police never did catch the men, but in what was perhaps one of the greatest acts of kindness, the town folks came together to help raise the funds for Amanda's family to cover the losses from that cold and scary Christmas evening. Hello Swamp, I love your stories and I listen to them daily. This is my first time sharing a scary story, so I'm sorry if it does not meet specific standards. Anyways, today I'm going to share my encounter with what I presume to be a Sasquatch. I live in a small town in northern Illinois, and my dad and his friends decided to go camping. He asked me if I wanted to come along, not wanting to be all alone for a prolonged period of time, I agreed. We drove about two hours into Wisconsin to some property we own up there. It is about 4 p.m. when we arrive. We just started setting up stuff as soon as we arrived, and we got done around 6 p.m. After that, we just hung around the campfire telling stories, playing games, and making s'mores until about 12 a.m., at which at that point, most of us headed off to bed. As soon as I laid down, I realized I had to use the bathroom, so I told my dad where I was going and he ironically said, don't let the Sasquatch get you. And obviously, I did not take him seriously, because uh, I thought he was joking, obviously. I am somewhat skeptical about cryptids in general, and I like to think that we need a little bit more tangible evidence before going head over heels into something. I grabbed a headlamp and walked about a minute or two down a steep hill and dug a hole. I was about to go, but then I heard a branch snap about 30 yards away, I immediately perked up and looked around. I could not see anything past the ten feet that the headlamp illuminated. I said, who's there? Or something around those lines. At which point I heard a heavy pounding and more twigs snapping. Except this time, they were closing in on me. I said F this and started going back up the hill. I turned around to get one last look and no more than ten feet away was this thing. I say thing because, though I think it was a Sasquatch, I have no experience with cryptids. Anyways, this thing was at least seven feet tall with brown hair all over its body. Its face. Oh, its face will always be imprinted into my nightmares. Its eyes were almost glowing, and its mouth was wide open exposing vaguely human-like teeth, except they were serrated. After seeing this, I bolted, not caring what was in front of me at that point. I did not look back once until I was at my campsite. I panted as I was out of breath and turned back to see the glowing eyes at the bottom of the hill staring back. I practically leaped into my tent and laid there for what felt like an hour just listening. After I did not hear anything, I eventually dozed off until the morning and told my dad what happened. He burst out laughing. Frustrated he did not believe me, I never brought it up again. Anyways, that's my story. This happened about two weeks ago. I'm sorry if this is not exactly terrifying to you, but it certainly was to me. 
I'm a short 5'2 female living in Colorado. I'm 18 now, but this story happened when I was just 14. And all the way leading up to last year. I've been living with my grandfather a few towns over from the rest of my family since the summer of my freshman year of high school. My first summer here started well. Working with my grandpa and making a, a little bit of money here and there, but I was happy being alone for the most part. After spending the last 13 or so years in a house full of five people, it was nice to be in a house where I had my own space and a room with a big bed. I thought it would be nice being in a smaller town where I did not really know anyone and can make new friends. Kind of refresh. My grandpa invited me to go to a town dinner with him one evening, and I did not have anything better to do, so I went with him and was already uncomfortable in the room full of people that I did not know. So after I finished eating, I went outside to sit on the swing at the park. After sitting there for about 10 minutes or so, I heard some rocks moving behind me and turned to see a man walking around the swings. He was in his early 20s, and he was wearing a nice dress shirt, but it was wrinkled and stained, and his pants were the same. When he noticed I saw him, he said, Hey, in a very calm voice. Me being raised to be polite and not to ignore people, I talked to him for a few minutes until the dinner was over and my grandpa drove around the park to pick me up. It was not until the next few months that I realized I made a big mistake talking with him that night. After I started school in that town, my grandpa was short on help and decided to hire that man to work with him. In my grandpa's words, that boy's ladder doesn't go all the way to the top, meaning he was not very smart and did very dumb things without realizing they were dangerous during work. Every time I would run into him in town, I would pretend like I did not see him, and I would hurry and run to somewhere to hide until he left. A few weeks later, my grandpa fired him and gave him his last check. Later that week, the man showed up at our house asking to get his job back, and my grandpa said he already got new help and did not want to see him there anymore. The man paused and then asked my grandpa if I was home. My grandpa ignored this question and shut the door. I thought that was the last time I would hear anything about him. But unfortunately, I was wrong. In the next few months, my grandpa had hired new people to help him, and they knew that man. After school one day, my grandpa randomly told me to be sure to avoid that man every time I saw him. I told him I had been, but asked why he was so suddenly concerned about it again. He then told me something that made me sick to my stomach. The man had told the people that worked with my grandfather that he was in love with a 14-year-old and that he was going to marry her, but her grandfather doesn't know it yet. They intuitively knew he was talking about me, and told my grandpa what he had said. My grandpa was so angry, I thought he was going to kill him. The next year I was outside smoking, enjoying the night air, and enjoying the stars when I suddenly saw him right in front of my porch. I threw my cigarette and ran inside locking the door behind me, and yelling for my grandpa, telling him that the man was just in the yard walking up to me. My grandpa grabbed his gun and went outside, but he could not find him anywhere. The next day, my grandpa went to that man's grandmother's house to tell her that her grandson was trespassing, and he would not hesitate to shoot him if he ever came up into the yard again. I had never heard anything about that guy for quite a few years, and I thought that was going to be the end of dealing with him. But this last year, shortly after my 18th birthday, I was sitting at home in bed, and I get a Facebook message request from a random account with a name I did not know. I open the messages, and it is a bunch of disgusting messages with pictures and a video. 
I checked the username that was used to create the account, and it was him. I freaked out and started crying and called my oldest sister, and she told me to screenshot the messages and send them to our mother so she could take them as evidence of harassment and go to the police. I did, and now I'm just hoping it's over for good. Thanks for listening to these creepy and allegedly true small-town horror stories sent in by viewers just like you. If you enjoyed these stories, please be sure to hit that like button as it helps me out a ton in the YouTube algorithm. If you're listening on iTunes or a different podcasting platform, please give the show a 5-star rating as that helps us grow a ton over there. If you're new to the swamp, why not join us? Hit that subscribe button and be sure to turn on notifications to never miss a new video as I upload them almost every single day and all things natural and supernatural. If you have a story that you'd like to share in a future video, whether it be a scary small town experience or something else from the great outdoors around you, I'd love to share it at swampdweller.net or the email you can find in the description down below. I'd love to know in the comments down below what story you guys liked the most tonight. I'd honestly have to say that last one might be my favorite. If you guys would like to support the swamp outside of hitting that like button and subscribing, maybe check out the merch store. I've got everything from hoodies to t-shirts to face masks and more. I'd love to see you in some Swamp Dweller threads. Definitely send me some pictures if you have some merch. I'd love to share them on my Instagram. If you guys aren't aware, you can download and listen to your favorite Swamp Dweller scary stories wherever you go. You can download them absolutely free from iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher Radio, and just about everywhere else you find your favorite Swamp Dweller scary stories. And it'll always be free, just like I said. Thank you guys so much for supporting the Swamp the way you do. I couldn't do this on a daily basis without you guys. Once again, send in your stories at swampdweller.net or the email you can find in the description down below. Hit me up on Twitter or Instagram. You can also find the links down there. And I'll see you guys soon with another creepy video.